0: If you need an outline, wave your hand there. I think there are some back at the sound booth. And um, why don't we just turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. And then take a finger and go to Matthew chapter 1. Now, we are starting the the last basic section of our uh, series on, on theology, and that is that of eschatology, and uh, eschatology is the study of the end times, esch means end, and I just noticed that there is an extra letter appeared in the title there, we'll get that fixed next week, but... Um, The uh, problem with understanding prophecy, understanding things that haven't happened yet in the Bible, is the Bible is best understood after things happen. It's not too hard to figure out all of the things that took place during the life and ministry of Christ because it's all over. It's very simple. In fact, it's so straightforward that we miss the fact that the disciples didn't get any of this stuff until after Jesus ascended and went into heaven. Uh, They had a basic idea, and so what we're going to do tonight is just go over some of these things and an approach and an understanding. Uh, We know, and we're going to end with, we know some things are going to happen. I mean, the Bible is very clear. It says that we will reign with him for a thousand years. I mean, that's pretty simple. And, and yet, uh, the vast majority of all Protestants and and uh, uh, many, even Baptists, are what we call amillennialists, meaning they don't believe that that is a literal passage of Scripture referring to a literal thing. And yet, how do you get past that? And so what we're going to do is over the now next week, of course, will be Christmas and then the next week will be New Year's. And so it'll be a couple weeks before we get back into um, our study here. But Isaiah chapter seven and verse 14 says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse evil and choose good. For before the child shall re- know to refuse evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her Kings. Now, this is Isaiah's prophecy, and uh, it tells us that um, Isaiah was giving a prophecy to the king of, of Israel. He was under attack from Syria, he was under attack from the northern tribes of Israel, uh, the king in Jerusalem. And as he was there, Isaiah says, Listen, I'm going to give you a sign. A virgin's going to uh, conceive and bring forth a son. And of course, this is one of the most famous prophecies in all the Bible concerning the Messiah. Now, Isaiah lived about uh, 700 or so years before the Messiah was born. These prophecies. Uh, as far as Syria and the northern kingdom being bereft of their kings, that would be fulfilled uh, during uh, the, uh, uh, the reign of Hezekiah, which would be just in a little while here. And yet the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14 wouldn't be until we get to Matthew chapter 1. Now, does that sound a little confusing to anybody? Because it really ought to. So many things that we understand as prophecy, we understand for one purpose. And let's go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And this is a verse that we memorized last year. And, and uh, you really ought to know this verse. It says, uh, let's... Go verse 22. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And so I want you to understand something. There, there is a lot that we just will not, cannot know about prophecy till it is fulfilled. And yet God expects us uh, to be waiting for the fulfillment of some of these prophecies as was uh, Simeon and Anna in the temple. They had no idea when these things were going to come to be. They just knew that the Messiah was coming. Now, one of the things that did happen in the jewish community and among the religious leaders is they got around and they began to go through and and uh, i'm sorry i didn't take time to look up all the prophecies but um there is a prophecy in the old testament that says seven men out of every nation shall take hold of uh, the skirt of him that is a jew and say take us to jerusalem and uh, one of the rabbis Uh, during that period between Malachi and when Jesus was born, said, ah, there's 150 nations on the earth, and we take seven times 150, and every Jewish man will have whatever that works out to be, number of slaves to serve him and take care of his family. That's some of the crazy stuff that's actually recorded in history. And that is the reason why when Jesus came, another prophecy was fulfilled. And he was soundly rejected by the Jewish religious leaders because they were looking for someone who was coming to serve them. And, of course, that's the root of all false religion, is it not? Uh, Is selfishness. Is what is this going to do for me? And what we want to do is understand our scriptures as correctly as we can. Uh, it, When Herod called the wise men, just turn over the page, uh, verse 6 of chapter 2. Uh, it says, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. And so and this was the quotation of Micah 5:2 that was given to Herod in verse four when he demanded them where Christ should be born. So the whole thing wasn't a mystery. They knew that Christ was coming. They knew that he would be born. They knew where he would be born. And yet, when the angels showed up, and sang to the shepherds, and the shepherds told the story. everybody missed it. I still don 't get that, but then again, you ought to read some of the things that are in commentaries when they talk about prophecies yet to be fulfilled. They just gloss over and change things and 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 just completely ignore. What the Bible says. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. And I want to take just a moment and read the whole chapter here. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant... And as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no former comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the, chastis- the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors and bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now we read Isaiah 53. How many of you already have verses from Matthew, Mark, Luke and John echoing through your mind? That he opened not his mouth and Pilate was stunned. That he didn't answer the the high priest when they asked him all of the questions. That uh, uh, it says uh, here that he was numbered with the transgressors. That he made intercession. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Are we all together there? I mean, this passage is talking about Jesus Christ. It's, you know, it, to us who believe the Bible, there's no argument here. And yet, people will look at this and they will say, No, that's not true, and that's not talking about Christ. I think the standard answer of the rabbis is today that this is talking about the nation of Israel. But since when did God exact the sins of the world from the nation of Israel? I mean, what you have to do is you have to change the meaning of the words in order not to believe that this passage is talking about Christ, and yet... They saw Jesus die, the disciples did, and didn't understand the thing. They did not understand until afterwards, and we'll get there in a few minutes, that He opened their eyes, that He opened the scriptures unto them to let them see. Turn with me to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. And we'll just pick a few verses here. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou heardst not, and in the night season am I not silent. Um. Verse 7, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head, saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. How many of you remember what the scribes and the Pharisees said as Jesus was hanging on the cross? They were quoting this song. Jesus, when he hung on the cross, cried out in the darkness, in the night season, My God, my God, why hast thou uh, forsaken me? This psalm is, um, let's look here down to um, verse 17. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. Will I praise him? We we go through here and just uh, we could take so much time that we wouldn't even begin to cover the outline. These prophecies foretold of the crucifixion of Christ. And yet the, the religious leaders of Jesus day were so wrapped up in. Their own thoughts that they could not see, even though they did these very things unto them. I didn't put it in the outline here, but how many of you remember the story of, of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem? And in, I believe it's Matthew's Gospels. He said they understood not that they'd done these things unto him until Jesus said, Listen, you were fulfilling the prophecy in putting your garments over the donkey and walking with me and worshiping me as I went into the city of Jerusalem. So, we, uh, Peter's sermon would be that David died and saw corruption, but the psalmist talked about him who would not, see, I will not suffer my holy one to see corruption. That Jesus would resurrect from the dead. But they did not understand any of these prophecies. One of my favorite ones to go to is, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. Now what we have going on here is in verse 11 of 31, it says, For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. And uh, we get down to verse 14, And I will satiate the soul of the priest with fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, saith the Lord. Now, what Jeremiah was doing was, He just pronounced some very severe prophecy upon Jerusalem, upon Israel. And he said, God is going to restore you. And the priests, again, are going to fulfill their duties uh, the way that God had planned. And then we get to verse 15. And it says, Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rahel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children, because they were not. Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping, and thine eyes from tears. For thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in thy end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. Now we read in Matthew... That when Herod sent out the prophecy, I mean the word to slaughter the children in Bethlehem. And and we need to remember that Bethlehem was not uh, a huge uh, metropolitan city. It was just a little tiny hamlet. But to kill all of the children two years and under in an area. I mean the brutality, the, the evil that had to be attached to that. And frankly, uh, I've had some people try to say, well, see, you could know that that prophecy was there. I want to challenge you. You couldn't know that prophecy was there except for the Holy Spirit told Matthew to quote this verse and to pick it out and put it there so that we could understand that this was a prophecy that was fulfilled. What I'm trying to do tonight, and, and I hope it's not too boring, is just lay a groundwork. Because in trying to understand things that have yet to happen, our tendency is to think that we know more than we do and to understand things in the light of our understanding rather than Just sometimes we just got to put things on hold and let God fulfill them as he always will. Every prophecy that was prophesied of Jesus' first return was fulfilled to the letter. It was fulfilled literally. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Ephesians, I mean, uh, Micah chapter four. It was the tower of the flock where the angels appeared and first announced the birth of Jesus. Uh, he was a descendant of of David through his father Joseph. Um, he was rejected. He was crucified. He did many of these things. Quoted scripture on the cross. He did resurrect from the dead. Isaiah. Turn with me. To Isaiah 29. Jesus in his teaching. He said well hath Isaiah prophesied of you. He said he. He he explained that you would draw nigh with your mouth. And be far away from God with your heart. And uh, look with me to. 29 Verse 13 It says, Wherefore the Lord said, Forasmuch as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish in the understanding of of their prudent men, shall be hid. Now, does that not describe what happened? And Jesus quoted that verse in Matthew chapter, uh, Mark chapter 7. He said, You talk about being close to God and worshiping God, but your heart is not with the Scriptures. In John, he told them, He said, if you believe the scriptures, you believe me. If you love Moses, you would love me. If you love God, you would love me. But Jesus was explaining to them that they did not believe any of these things. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. And we're just going to overlap a little bit. Verse 1, Isaiah chapter 11, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And we come down here. Uh, to uh, verse six is is one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. And the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed their young one shall feed their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the suckling child shall play at the hole of the ass. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, we believe Isaiah chapter 11 has yet to be fulfilled. Because we know of no time in history where any of these, after Isaiah chapter 11 was penned, where any of these things could possibly have been true. And so we are waiting for the, for the fulfillment of these verses. These We believe these verses are talking about what we call the millennial kingdom, the thousand year rule and reign of Christ. But here's what I want to challenge you with. We know that Messiah is going to be the king. And they, the Jewish people in Jesus' day, knew that these things were going to happen when Messiah was going to be the king. And so it was very difficult for them to equate the rejection, the suffering, the crucifixion of the Messiah with the king that would come and take away even violence from the animal world and poison from the snakes and make the world exactly uh, the place that every person has ever hoped and dreamed, a, a perfect uh, world where there is no pain, no suffering, and no death. Now, Of course, we know only God can do that. And we are looking forward to that day. But... I want you to see why one of the reasons why some of the Jewish people might have been a little confused as Jesus identified himself as that Messiah. You see, there's still this issue called faith. If you're going to believe in God, you must believe in God because he is. One of my favorite illustrations of that, John chapter 9, the blind man, he was born blind, Jesus healed him. And he said, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And the blind man said, Who is he that I might believe? And Jesus said, I am. And he fell down and worshipped him. And right there standing beside him were some of the Jewish religious leaders. And they said, They didn't even take notice that this man had worshipped Jesus and Jesus had received that worship as God. They were too concerned about themselves and what they understood. And Jesus said, because you think you see, you're actually very blind. Because if you would admit that you don't understand, then you would actually understand a lot more. And so this is the approach the, the uh, way that we want to look at, at this. And let's go to Luke chapter 25. And of course, this is after the resurrection. Luke chapter 25. Now, what we have starting in verse 13 is the two men on the way to the road to Emmaus, verse 13. And behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score, four longs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not. Know him. And I'm just going to again paraphrase here that uh, um, they, Jesus said, Why are you so sad? And they said, Don't you know what happened? And, and I just love the, the contrast there. Verse 25 Then he, Jesus, said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all the prof- that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Verse 45, this was in the first church service Sunday night. Jesus appeared to them later that day. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Now, in all of this fulfillment and everything that we see, we, we've got to grab a hold of just a couple of things. Number one, even though there was this huge level of non-understanding, of just total cluelessness as to how these prophecies would be fulfilled, even though the disciples were doing the very things the Scripture said and the People in, in, in many instances were quoting Scripture, yet they did not understand that they were actually fulfilling the prophecies as they were. Yet never once in all the Scripture do we have an allegorical fulfillment of prophecy. Now, what I mean by that is... When we read the prophecies and we read the fulfillments, we say, hey, that's what it says. Even though I had no way that talking about Rachel weeping for her children was what Herod was going to do to the little babies after he met the wise men, yet that's what it talks about. Rachel, the the city of Bethlehem, weeping for her children because they were not. And, and they were taken away. And and uh, I, uh, Psalm 22, we've been through this. Everything was literally fulfilled. So be very, very careful when we hear someone saying, well, I know what the words say, but it really means, because then you get into trouble. And this is the number one issue that we have with misunderstanding things that have yet to happen. It's called a non-literal understanding of the scripture. There are certain things that we just cannot know, could not know, and yet if God wants us to know them, what has he always done? He pointed them out. I mean, that's what the whole book of Hebrews is about is taking all of the types and pictures and literal events that happen in the Old Testament and giving us an understanding of how they apply to Jesus Christ the Messiah and his finished work and his work with yet he has to complete. And so we're going to end this with just a list of some things. I want you to turn with me to Zechariah chapter 14. You see, we know Jesus is coming back. Amen? The Bible says so very clearly. Now, look at Zechariah chapter 14. And it says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Uh, verse four, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half the mountains shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south, and ye shall flee into the valley of the mountains, and the valley of the mountains shall reach into Azal, Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. And uh, we can read on, but that's talking about the second coming of the Lord. It says that he is going to lead the armies of heaven. He's going to have all of his saints with him. His foot is going to land on the Mount of Olives, and God is going to rearrange the entire geography of the land of Israel. Jerusalem sits on a mountain, and it says that God's going to split that mountain in half, and there's going to be a huge valley there that the entire nation of Israel, millions of people who are alive when this happens, are going to be able to run down in that valley and hide While Jesus fights the battle of Armageddon is what we believe is going to happen. But now I want you to read with me Acts chapter 1. In verse 11. Verse 10 actually. It says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, Jesus was ascending. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Which also said ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Other passages. We have 1 Thessalonians. Uh, We have uh, 1 Corinthians. It says we'll be caught up in the air forever to be with the Lord. These are all talking about Jesus' second return. Now, I want to ask you, could all of that possibly happen at the same time where Jesus to catch his saints in the air and to split the mountain, land on the Mount of Olives and split it in half? uh, Could, just as Jesus was with his disciples, it says in in the same manner, quiet and private with the disciples, and yet... In Zechariah, it says, every eye shall see him and other prophecies that are there. Our simplest understanding is that both of these are talking about Jesus' return. But it's going to be in two parts. We have the rapture of the church. And then we have him coming to rule and reign. That and we'll be going over many scriptures for this, and as we get through this, if you read uh, Daniel chapter nine, Daniel chapter eleven, we have a, a time of tribulation that is going to last approximately seven years. You can't get past that if you understand the Bible literally. We have the the thousand year reign of Christ in Revelation chapter twenty. We have the restoration of Israel to faith in God. Uh, that's what one of the prophecies in the book of Ezekiel, they make that funny song, them bones, them bones, them dry bones, and, uh, talking about God giving flesh to the nation of Israel and, and bringing them back. There were many people at the end of World War II that said, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Ezekiel, because God literally brought Israel out of the death camps of Germany and made them a nation. But it hasn't been fulfilled yet because Israel is a nation. Their chief religion, as stated, is atheism. It's in their constitution. They endorse no specific Religion. They now there there is a big controlling party in Israel that are very religious, and um, but it's still not a fulfillment of those prophecies. The New Jerusalem that's going to hover over the earth. That's where the streets of gold and the gates of pearl are. Read Revelation. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing that thing. But we don't know when and where. Uh, my, My belief that it's going to be here over the earth during the millennial kingdom. How about Ezekiel's temple? I love reading those last eight chapters of the book of Ezekiel when it talks about all the different things and it talks about the sons of Zadok are going to serve God in that temple and the sacrifices are going to be offered in the due order. You know, those were, those prophecies have not yet been fulfilled. I was talking with someone and they said, well, I just believe that God was talking about something He wanted to do for Israel and because they rejected Him, He didn't do it. And my answer was simply this, can you find me another so precedent anywhere in scripture where god devotes so much time to explaining and describing and measuring something that he never intended to give Uh, let me tell you something i look forward to the fulfillment of those things we have the battle of Gog and magog and uh, that's in the book of ezekiel where where they come down into the land of israel from the north And the Bible says that five-sixths of that army is going to be destroyed on the mountains of Israel. And they're going to be seven years burying the dead. Now, if the battle of Gog and Magog does not happen until the middle of the tribulation period, that means that there's going to be a time into the millennial kingdom where they're still burying bodies. That's an interesting thing. we just, there's a lot that we don't know. But we do know these things are going to happen and there's more of them too. And what we need to understand is number, here's the focus of prophecy. Here's the focus of what we should be understanding is number one, God has given us specific directions in how to live each and every day. Amen. And he has given us these prophecies for us to look at and to study. And uh, there are promises to those that read the book of Revelation and study it, that that God is going to bless them for that. And we have spent a great deal of time in our church in going over these things. And we're not going to spend uh, uh, weeks and weeks on, on, on on this section of our theology, but we are going to spend as much time as is necessary to get a handle on uh, what we can understand and, and what we can't understand. But if there's anything we need to learn from prophecy, it is simply this. It should encourage us to do the things that Jesus said to do. Studying prophecy ought to make us want to read our Bible. Studying prophecy ought to make us want to pray. Studying prophecy ought to make us tell other people about Jesus Christ. Studying prophecy should make us more faithful to our local church. Studying prophecy should make us more ready to support missions and share the gospel. And we have A life to live. Paul said, we which are alive and remain. Paul believed that Jesus was coming back in his lifetime. Guess what? You can have something in common with the Apostle Paul. If you'll just simply believe that Jesus is coming back in your lifetime. By the way, John believed that too. He said, every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. You see... Prophecy gives me hope. Prophecy tells me that what's going on today is not the end of all things. That this book called the Bible tells me the end of all things. And though I can't understand everything, we have some of the pieces to the puzzle. And what we're going to try to do is put them together as best that we can and come up with an understanding That encourages us to, as Jesus put it, occupy till I come. All God's people said. Let's pray.